0: Industrial Design Journey.
1: Hi, and welcome back to another video episode of Industrial Design Journey. As you can see, I'm Evan and I'm with Lane. Again, this is just a different podcast because it's just going to be Lane and I talking kind of like our original podcast where we were just talking about what we wanted out of this podcast and instead this episode we're going to talk about what we have gotten so far because now we're nearing the end of summer we're still going to try to do this podcast over uh, the school year but it's going to be a little bit more difficult and I'm sure things are going to change a lot as we go so I'm just pretty excited um, for this opportunity I've already been excited about all the opportunities we've had up until this point I've gotten to know new people gotten to learn things about people that I had known that I'd Never learned before, um, and I have a few connections that will have uh, will give us some more content in the future. So I'm really excited about where we are right now. So, uh, Lane, how are you doing right now?
0: Oh, I'm um, good, and you know this has just been it's been a really fun process, um, and it's been excellent being able to talk to so many different kinds of professionals. Um, you know, going all the way back to talking with Grant in our first episode or in our first interview um you know we got such a great look into like the drive of a designer you know at a guy who already has a full-time job and now he's coming home and basically you know doing another job to refresh his portfolio because he loves design so much like that was a great way to like start off and uh you know just kind of like realize what a journey industrial design is and you know he's right in the middle of it um and then you know as we talked with you know different people we honed in on different parts of design that are super important and you know why that drive you know just kind of sticks to some people um so yeah it's been excellent i'm super pleased with everything that you know we've been able to to glean from these people um and i'm really excited about you know talking to some more
1: Absolutely. Me too. I, I had known Grant and I had known Ryan for a while. Uh, those were our first two guests. But I found one time I got into my car and it just started replaying um, that original podcast because I'd been clicking around trying to see everything went, if everything went up well. And I just found myself listening to it because I was still learning. Things were still coming out uh, through that podcast that I didn't necessarily pick up on the first time I went through it because that's just the nature uh, of a podcast. It's the nature of life um, because just like I talked to Ryan about it after, um, and he was like, "It's like watching film, you know. You can be on the field playing the sport or whatever you're you're in, but sometimes when you just go back and get a re-listen to some things. You'd be surprised at things that you missed. And it's the same, you know." reading the Bible in the way, not saying what we've been doing is necessarily biblical, but there's always something you can learn and glean from just going back um, and reviewing stuff that we've learned so far. Um, I especially liked, uh, I've loved all of our interviews, um, and I've loved getting to know everyone so much. I really liked uh, Dr. Powell's interview because of how much it showed the connection between industrial design and the business side of things. Or at least I think good industrial design should consider the business side of things. And it's tough sometimes because, like I, I believe I said in that podcast, a lot of people that we work with have pretty simple ways to check if they've been successful or not. It's either been, you know, well, it's like, how's the bottom line? Does it function? Like, you know, really basic things. But sometimes industrial designers have a tougher thing to pitch because it's more about the feel of a product, how it appears, how somebody... Feels when they are using the product or how accessible it is, and that's something that you can't always see on the front end until the product goes out into market. So I learned a lot in that podcast. I also learned a lot in Zach's about a guy that his passion isn't necessarily product design, but he's just an artist that loves just creating. Um, He's full of imagination, and it kind of shows that to be an industrial designer, you don't only need to be passionate about products; you just have to be. Passionate about something, um, you just have to be creative, and people will notice it in your work. It'll it'll translate over into it, and this has informed a lot about um, my designs. There's been times where I go to a sheet of pe- paper, uh, paper and I start designing, and things start coming back up to me from a podcast that you know Grant mentioned, Ryan mentioned, Zach mentioned, and I'm just thinking through as I go, and honestly, it's been it's been priceless, and even you know talking to uh, Grayson. Uh, Jacob Tesmer that was really cool too but that was a different perspective to me yes we talked a lot about design but it was cool to see two people living together working together as designers which was pretty cool I just thought I, that was a really cool experience and we'll have another couple coming up uh, this week this Thursday actually is when we'll be recording the pod- podcast and then it'll be out sometime soon but that's a different perspective too so there's just so many things I've learned
0: yeah and it's really interesting because design is something that you know a a person with any skill set can do there are lots of different like areas of design like we've talked about and um you know everyone has insight into uh you know what really works as a design but only a select few people really get to do it and only a fewer number of people are really like consumed by it and it's been really fascinating talking to those people Um, you know, talking with people like Ryan, who have been drawing since, you know, he was in the fifth grade, um, and talking with Zach, who was, like you said, like, he, he's just a creative person. Um, and even though, you know, he has these other hobbies that he does for fun, he like channels that, that inspiration into his design work and it gives him a different perspective. Um, you know, when design started, like, really becoming a focus of uh, the market as a whole um, towards the the 1950s and the 40s, you know, what was was key was the influence that was coming in, the influence from Europe and the influence from the people who had experienced, you know, what had happened um, in the World War. They were coming in and they were, reforming the way that people were making products because the design was influenced by their experience. And so, you know, the the people coming over from Holland and bringing that influence and people coming over from Denmark and bringing that influence, the international style that started developing there um, placed an emphasis on the experience, not just of the people who were designing the furniture um, and all of the other products, but also the the user experience and started thinking about that more conceptually. And so I think that is a huge reason why like industrial design as it is now still focuses on experience um, on both the front end of, you know, the design work and also especially um, at the end product and the consumer.
1: Absolutely. Now, Lane, your video cut out, that was pretty choppy there for a bit. So I did miss some of the stuff you said. The video cut out. So probably I'm going to have to go back through and just add some, like, stock footage of just, like, really inspirational, like, ocean crashes and, like, <laughs> sunsets and stuff like that. But I caught a little bit at the end there, and it was very profound. Um, yeah, I'm kind of bummed I missed some of that answer. But uh, I kind of want just ask you a question.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and hopefully this, this goes through. Internet, you know, is everybody's... Uh, you know, worst enemy right now, especially when everything's remote. Um, but what have you learned in terms of your senior capstone? What, what have you started to think about specifically for your senior capstone?
0: I mean, that's a good question. Um, I think primarily what I've learned is that, you know, you definitely want to start with the right problem. And there are right problems in pretty much every sector. So just as much as you can pick the right problem like we talked about with Ryan and like we talked about with Jacob and Grace, um, you can also pick something that you really love, like what Zach did, you know, when he did his conceptual art as his capstone. So that's kind of what has gotten me thinking, is just thinking about the things that inspire me. Uh, Things like automotive design is really uh you know fascinating me right now um and things like you know headphone design audio design that kind of thing and uh also footwear um you know those things are are really fascinating me but finding the right niche in each of those categories or any of those categories um is something i've been exploring
1: That's that's awesome um yeah for that, that's really cool because something that I'd struggle with, uh, I have struggled with, and I'm still kind of struggling with, is trying to go problem first. And honestly, I'm probably going to have to go away from that just because um, there's a lot of big problems out there in the world. But I feel like each industry can have something to say about those problems. Um, it can help you know, people with disabilities. Uh, it can help people just that are disenfranchised. I don't know. There's just a lot of different ways that different industries can help people. Um, and what i found is more important for me are just parts of my design philosophy that, you know, aren't like original that I came up with or anything, but that I want to carry into my design. You know, I want my design to be sustainable. I don't want it to cater towards like consumerism, just like extra products for the sake of extra products. Um, I want it to be something that is accessible. I want it to enable more people to live better lives. Um, and then kind of exploring what that looks like. Uh, there's there's more things I'm thinking about. I want it to be simple. I want it to be welcoming. Um, I want it to be something that is timeless. That's a huge thing for me, timeless and scalable. Those are two mm-hmm. things for me especially. Scalable is one of my favorite uh, parts of design because that's one of the hardest but the most beneficial parts of a design, I think, um, especially me because I'm obsessed with building brands. Uh, I love the idea of branding. And I love the idea of A concept or a thread as I like to say that ties between a line of products I love that Um, and having something that's scalable something kind of like a great example that people are familiar with is like iOS how iOS well I guess it's not iOS it's Apple operating systems because you look at a watch You look at my workout still going. Oops, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) funny. Um, But I, I, you look at a watch, you look at your phone, you look at your iPad, you look at your Mac if you have all those things, Um, and everything looks the same, everything's familiar. There's, but there are design principles that allow each one of those things to, even though they're completely different form factors, feel familiar. And so, once somebody goes inside of an ecosystem or um, a, a product line or anything like that, there's familiarity across the line. You see it in Adidas with Boost. Now people that are runners like Boost because it has its benefits. Then people that like casual shoes like Boost. It's a very scalable technology. Um, and that's not the best example, but there's a lot of companies that take design language or features or functions that are the essence of a brand and kind of work across that brand. And so that's something that I'm um, very passionate about. And recently, I've kind of decided I wanted, uh, I want to focus more on consumer electronics and that's really exciting for me um because uh i worked at best buy for nearly three years and i loved the products i was working with they were exciting to me honestly um and i know that's really weird but i like actually enjoy going home and watching youtube videos about the products i was selling um and while doing that i realized how many things are flawed i see a lot of potential in that industry still even though everybody um you know, and their grandmother has, has a set of headphones or has a set of whatever. Everybody has a product, but I think making a really good product can also, uh, calm down an industry. Like this is a hard example I haven't thought of until this moment. Um, but like the iPod was such a good product. It was like the only product in like, it had like over 75% of market share. It simplified the industry because it was so good at what it did. There isn't one thing right now in a in the line of consumer electronics. I'm thinking about. I'm not ready to quite hash it out just yet because it could change. But there's not that one product that simplifies that sets the standard across all the uh, the whole board. Um, I want it. I want. I see potential for something to kind of reset. And as a student, that nothing's gonna happen. But I like at least the exercise of saying, "Hey, if I could set the industry standard, what would that look like?"
0: Yeah, definitely. And I want to hone in on like one thing that you said, and that was kind of something that we talked about with uh, Dr. Powell was not feeding into consumerism. And that was really interesting because I was working with this guy. um, He's been in construction for forever and he, you know, is a very handy guy Um, and he hates like throwing stuff away. Um, and that kind of feeds into what you were talking about, uh, about s- sustainability as well. But the, the big reason why he was opposed to throwing things away was because so many things can be fixed, but there are a lot of products these days that aren't designed for maintainability. So sustainability is one thing where like, you know, maybe you have a biodegradable food container or whatever. Um, but maintainability is different because he had a coffee grinder that was a good coffee grinder. It worked well, he used it every day. And he opened it up to clean it and the burrs looked worn down. The actual like cutting surfaces that grinds the coffee. And he was like, I cannot find this one piece, this, this set of burrs, which is, you know, has a, it only has a certain life to it before, you know, it no, no longer is useful. And he was like, I can't find this set of burrs anywhere. And so instead of buying a $5 part and replacing it myself and, like, bringing new life into this coffee grinder, I have to go out and buy another $90 coffee grinder. And that really kind of, like, stuck with me. And that has been informing my thinking recently. Um, Hmm. And we see it also with cars. You know, for example... um, Mercedes-Benz have always been tricky to own because you have to take them to a special mechanic who knows Mercedes-Benz because all of their systems are complicated. And they're not really designed with the idea that the person owning the car is ever going to maintain the car. And, you know, that decreases their value. And no, like people don't want to buy a used Mercedes because they know how much of a headache it's going to be. So, there are lots of different ways that maintainability can kind of inform design um, and a lot of it comes down to just like not being selfish as a designer and wanting mm. to like push the newest and best and allow people to get the most out of what they buy
1: absolutely and that but sometimes that's a tough uh tough thing for a company to do because for instance this isn't this doesn't necessarily translate to mercedes um well it might but it might be more affordable for them. <laughs> you got a light turned on? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it might be more affordable for them to have something, for instance, technology, that's how I think, to solder on RAM, to solder on um, different pieces of their technology, because it's more affordable. And then that brings the price down the, for the consumer, because if they didn't solder it, the product would be bulkier, um, it'd be more expensive. Then the pr- person doesn't buy it and so another interesting thing that I've been struggling with is basically trusting the consumer which sounds stupid because I'm a consumer but I also I know what the decisions I make I tend to buy the cheaper thing um, and the th- slimmer thing just because to me it's more satisfying to my head even though it's not as sustainable as something that I could replace and exchange right so let's say if that coffee maker had Re uh different changing uh, burrs, like you said, but that would have been a tooling cost of three thousand dollars to update those burrs. i'm I'm just this is all pulled up. Uh, again, I'm coming up with this, but just this can go to different industries. Then the company is like, well, if we do this, this raises the price of every unit by a dollar. And then this makes us have to increase the price of our thing by dollar. And it makes our product that much bigger. And then the target demographic doesn't want it anymore. It makes it difficult. And so I'm not saying that that's a bad thought. I'm saying that just shows how important that thought is,
0: mm.
1: how you can design a product that is maintainable, but also attainable, you know, something that mm. people can actually get and want. Um, that's really important. Because yeah. sometimes you have to do the work on the back end, like like people that buy Patagonia aren't buying Patagonia because they have a great recycling program, they use a lot of reusable materials, they just like the product. But Patagonia is doing things that a lot of consumers don't even think about when they buy Patagonia. Now the more educated you get, the more you learn about it, the more you appreciate the stuff that they do to you know maintain the environment that they claim that they love and they, they show that they love. like. That's the cool part. I like those, those brands, uh, the brands mm. that have costs on the back end that the consumer doesn't even see. But By making a good product, the consumer grows to appreciate that, and it builds a deep bond. And Not a lot of brands can do that, especially in this Amazon society where we're buying the cheapest thing made in China, designed in China, stuff. Nothing, nothing yeah. against China, but China right now is the cheapest way to make anything. Even it's cheaper to have something uh, manufactured and shipped from China than to have it manufactured next door. Right. Which You know, that's just, that's just how it is. And so that's kind of where we've seen the devolution of products, where things have gotten worse, but they've gotten cheaper because people think they value the cost, but once they get the product, they end up returning the product, not enjoying the product, and that produces waste. Then they end up going to either buy another cheap product or they spend a lot of money on the nice product that's made well. Then they'll stick with that one. But still, that one bad purchasing decision will lead to so much waste across the board that it's really concerning. So that's just my concern overall about yeah. like, you know, consumer, consumerism, materialism, everything like that.
0: Yeah, well, here's an interesting example. This is from coffee again, just because that's something I'm interested in. Um, there's a company... It's been around for a long time. It's called Gaggia. Um, and they made, this was probably 15 years ago or so. They made a model called of espresso maker called the classic pro and it's a pretty simple machine. Um, it doesn't have a separate boiler for, you know, steaming milk and for making espresso. It's just a a single boiler heat exchange machine. Um, but something very interesting happened with that product because it was simple. And because it was easy to understand, people started making aftermarket products, um, and so they would make uh, little products that you would install aftermarket on your machine, and it would allow you to control the temperature of the water better, and that really upgrades this machine from a budget machine to something that you know could rival something in an actual coffee shop, and lots of other different you know aftermarket pieces that aren't even made by Gadget, Um, but really upgrade the product. And now this espresso machine has like a cult following and forums dedicated to it because people still, after all these years of other espresso machines with more technology coming out, people still love this machine because it has maintainability, kind of like what I was talking about. And so that has a, that has good longevity and it's affordable. And I think a way that maybe this all ties in is, I know modularity is kind of out of vogue at this point. It really kind of hit a peak in 2016, 2015. Um, But I think there's a place for it. And And it's for those products that consumers want to last a long time. They want to be able to the, they, they want the product to grow along with their interests along with their needs and so I think that's also an interesting like way to think about it is like how can a product grow with a person grow with an industry even
1: that's interesting um, I agree a lot um, the best products to look at are the cult products you know the products that still have active forums that still have people that are using them every day that's very strong in the car community the coffee community the audio community. Three communities – well, I'm not as familiar with coffee, but I like drinking it. Um, (laughs) But those are all communities where you see a lot of that stuff, where people really hold on um, to their old products. Typewriters, uh, you see stuff like that, keyboards. It's interesting how a lot of that stuff works. But my one thought on that um, is technology is getting to the point where it's growing so quick that it's hard to make something entirely entirely modular – um, without, I feel like taking away from the product a little bit, um, is a concern. Like for instance, here's an example. People used to, I, I was watching a documentary about video games, like classic Atari style video games. And there's these kids in a college dorm room that made mods, like computer mods that they would open up and put inside of their, uh, Atari, well not Atari, it was just, you know, one of those big old fashioned, um, game systems. Right, the the floor standing ones. Right, they came up with these mods that they put inside of them and would unlock new levels, new characters, new everything like that. And they could take those and put it inside all of these different um, big game. Why can't I remember? Just an arcade game. I don't know why I couldn't come up with that word. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but they would just keep on putting it inside these arcade games, and then they started selling it to arcades. And then next thing you know, they made enough money that they started their own game business and stuff like that. Okay, so that being said. There's not a lot of stuff that's like I feel like accessible in the super high technology world that we're living in now that you can open up and modify. And, and so mm. – and this is me speaking from my interest in consumer electronics. I can't pop open an iPhone and give it more RAM. And if <laughs> Apple added exchangeable RAM to an iPhone, this thing would be so undesirable – because it'd be so thick, it wouldn't be waterproof anymore. The battery life would be worse. It'd be more expensive. So it, it's interesting, but I agree with you. But I feel like it's worth exploring how that would appear in different industries that don't lend themselves to modularity. Mm. Um, yeah, that's really that's really the end of that thought. And I'm not that's not contradicting you. That's literally just saying if you could kind of solve that problem, I have a few thoughts on it. Um, but if you could solve that problem, that would be amazing. <laughs> it would be incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's definitely trickier than it used to be because things are becoming less analog and more digital. And when something's analog, like you can see it and there are ways that you can test it. And that's why whenever you switch over to digital and you can't see anything, now you need people to write diagnostic tools and tests that you can run on things like the iPhone to try to figure out what's going wrong when things do go wrong. Um, so it definitely is a trickier problem to solve digitally. But, you know, design has kind of grown along with technology. And I think that it, it definitely has the capability to to solve that problem as well. It's a matter of like, who's going to do it?
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I have an idea on that subject, and I'm not too worried about anybody hearing this, (laughs) so I'll share it. (laughs) Um, And if they do hear it, it's an expensive idea, so I'm not too worried about it. Um, But basically, my thought recently, we've seen with like millimeter wave 5G, um, this is getting really specific into the weeds, but that's another note I want to make on the podcast. I want to start getting a little bit more... Um, specific to our capstones at least a little bit. Start tuning in questions instead of general industrial design. Start pushing people on specifics. Um, but the good thing is I think we've laid a good enough foundation that people can follow along once we start getting into specifics, especially if you go back and listen to the podcast once, twice, three times. I know I could, and I'd still learn something every uh, new every time. But back to what I was saying. So going into you know millimeter wave 5G that we have right now, the amount of data – that you're able to transport over the air is amazing. And so one of the concepts I was thinking about is that phones right now are constrained by the things inside of them. Like this phone is now a computer, but the ideal shape of a computer is not this. This is not the ideal mm. shape of a computer. So that being said, what if you design something, and this is just my brain and how I the analogy I thought of, like imagine like I carry around a wallet with me. What if that was your computer, and wirelessly, all this would have to be is a battery and a screen and a camera, no more processor built into it, and wirelessly, all the computing can be done remotely. Next thing you know, the only constraints I have on this device are the screen, which we've seen can be bent and moved in crazy ways. You know, the battery, which technology is continuing to get better. There's some breakthroughs that I think are right around the corner, but we'll wait for a bit. But you can still break up batteries into multiple different components. Camera's a little bit of an issue. That's a hard constraint to work around, but still, when you simplify it down to just those three things and a processor that's remote, next thing you know, the design world's opened up for a cell phone, but that other device could be designed for a computer. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's not designed around the constraints of a handheld phone. All The only constraint on it would be it has to fit in your pocket. So I think that would be a really interesting way that the industry could address that because the next thing you know, you're designing something that doesn't have many constraints on it other than just overall size. And then you could really see a lot of interesting things be done in that space because next next thing you know, my watch doesn't need a processor in it. All it needs a battery a screen mm-hmm. and whatever hardware you need. The next thing you yeah. know, my watch is an ounce. You know, it's a thin as heck. And then you sit in your car and then my... Computer wallet, you know is doing the computer computing on the screen one more thought on that though Computing is going more and more to cloud-based computing. So would the computer even need to be in my pocket anymore? No, that would most likely just be something that communicates to a local 5g tower that communicates to that that communicates to my iPhone and it all be instantaneous That's where I see the industry going, but that's just my little idea on modularity, a little out there, but
0: yeah, and I think that has a that has the potential to simplify the industry. Um, people now, like me, I have a laptop, I have an iPad, and I have a phone. And the real, the only real difference between those three things is the way that information is displayed to me and the way that I interact with it. So, on my computer, I have a keyboard and I have a very large screen. Um so if I need to see something in detail, if I need to do a lot of typing, then I'm going to use my computer. I use my iPad a lot to, you know, watch shows but mostly to draw on. And my phone, my phone is useful because it can fit in my pocket. So with with the difference really being between the way that the information is displayed, I think that you're really onto something into consolidating the processing power into one place because there's no real issue with having a supercomputer that's even more powerful than my phone in my pocket, rather than, you know, just the size and the heat and the energy needed. So yeah, that would simplify it. And you would be able to have different, uh, different ways of, you know, conveying information, different displays, I guess. Yeah. Um, like,
1: you could, fit, and consolidate you could fit all your
0: computer com- power.
1: Like, these, this could be a computer. Not, not, like, not the computer, but this could be a display, I guess, is what you were saying. Like, because mm. next thing you know, all I need is a battery to power the display, but all the processing power would just be done in my pocket. So that's why I'm saying I'm saying it would really open up the world of design, but my philosophy is design what's after next. Because next has already been thought of, next is already in production. That, that's that's just how it is. That's how naive you know I can be sometimes. I think, brilliant, I came up with this idea. I'm so smart. Then it comes out a year later. I'm like, oh, they stole my idea. No, that's a joke. I know they didn't actually steal my idea, but I'm just saying like, oh, I thought of that. If only I had thought of it sooner or been in, working there. It's like, no, that's not how it works because people are smarter than us or there's a lot of people as smart as us working together all the time. That are ahead of you and so the way you can benefit yourself is by designing what's after next I think especially as students right now for us now when you get into the industry you got to be focused a little bit more on the bottom line and what's immediately in front of you Um, but especially for this capstone process I'm gonna look for what's after next because Mm. I want something to be in my portfolio that can sit there for five years and not get outdated like in Ryan's thing like how he designed an all-in-one media center TV, computer, landline phone, and something else. And it was in this giant, you know, box. And it was so, it was cool. It was really cool. And honestly, it's still a cool today. But the thought of everything being together now just seems ridiculous to us. You know, that concept. And now this was a long time ago. I think this this is like in the early 90s. So that probably aged pretty well up until probably like the mid-2000s. But still... Still, I just want to design something that even you know five, ten, fifteen years down the line is like, huh? Interesting. You know, I want to go a little bit out there, but I still also want to have it be possible and understandable and attainable. Um, that's a hard, hard line to to find.
0: Mm, definitely. Oh man! I mean, there are so many different things to think about. There are so many different like industries that have been in the same place for a long time and i like honestly i think coffee is one of them and recently i was in a, a coffee shop in dayton ohio um and it was it was really it was a decent coffee shop like it was a nice big open space um good seating um and really good coffee but their coffee machine looked really weird um, it was this tall white machine uh, much taller than a normal coffee machine, and Um, it had this glass globe with a double helical, like tube that was going into it. And I was like, what is this thing about? So I went over and I looked at the tag, the manufacturer's tag that's on it. And I looked it up and it is an expensive machine, right? You can just look at it and say, man, that probably cost a pretty penny. And it did. I think it was about a $6,000 machine. Oh, that's Um, it. (laughs) Yeah, I know um but what the one thing that was really interesting is it was i mean with coffee there's two things there is how how fine you grind it and then how you mix it with the water and the way that they solved it was by grinding much finer than you would normally grind for any kind of coffee including espresso you could use up to 30% less coffee with their machine and that's huge because as coffee grows, and as more people use it, um, and also as the amount of, like, acreage that's actually usable to coffee farmers is shrinking, um, coffee's becoming more expensive, and that, that was just, like, a way to, a a way to do it right, a way to, like, solve the problem in a real way, um, and through good design, design that, like, was really appealing and interesting and made me want to learn more about it, um, and so, like, that, that's, like, a great example of an industry that's pretty simple, not quite as complicated as, you know, something like consumer electronics, something that stayed pretty simple, but one that I think has the potential to, like, really change the game.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I have a couple thoughts on that. Um, one, for just consumer electronics, one of my goals there is – Everything in consumer electronics is hidden under a layer of plastic or glass or metal, right? And Mm. so the form of the electronics itself has to inform the user of its function. A coffee maker, a pour-over, informs the user of its function. A French press informs the user of its function. A motherboard? (laughs) You know, it's a square. So... That's the fun thing about it is that you do have to be a little bit creative with consumer electronics. Now, that's not exactly – that's kind of a separate thought. That's kind of a one-off. But then for what you were talking about, I don't know if this necessarily applies exactly um, to your example. But my philosophy is there are two reasons – there are two really types of consumers or – I don't know if I'm phrasing this right, but I'll find it when I go along. But there's – convenience then there's enthusiast. I, I feel like you can break down consumers into those two things. Convenience, that's mm. Spotify, that's Apple Music. Enthusiast, that's vinyl, that's speakers. And when you get like you know nice studio monitors. And so when you design a product, I feel like you have to kind of choose which one of those two you want to go for. Because look at this is convenience. Right here, what I'm wearing right now. This is convenience, AirPods Pros for those who aren't listening. And if you know, anyways, just trying to flex on you guys real quick. Apparently, um, no. But what I'm saying is, these don't sound the best, but they fit in my pocket. They get the job done. They noise cancel. My loud coworkers, like it, it does everything I need, right? And especially if the main goal actually isn't even to listen. No, no, isn't to enjoy like the nuance of the music, it's just to listen to music easily. But then there's the people that are like, I want to get in the music, I want to feel it. So they sit down, have this nice record player, you know, soundproofing, they have vibration reducing, you know, stands, everything like that. So there's two big consumers. So where do you feel like does that coffee maker kinda of like sit outside of that? Do you think that's enthusiast? Do you think that's innovation i guess that that could be the third one because um, hmm. that's another reason people buy things because it's new it kind of changes the industry or your perspective on what a product can be hmm.
0: um which can also be are going to understand better you know the people who are really invested yes. in the industry they're going to they're going to understand like whoa this really is groundbreaking um, and to the normal person that is Buying coffee from that shop, you know they're they're probably gonna think, wow, this is like this is really good coffee. Good job them, um, and that is due to the the machine. But they're also getting the benefit of maybe the you know the shop chooses to sell cheaper coffee because they can get a greater yield out of their the beans that they buy, or if they roast them themselves. Um, so I I think that like if it, if a design appeals more to enthusiasts or is more innovative it will benefit the convenience customer as well Um, in consumer electronics maybe it's not immediate but maybe other companies that are more convenience focused start incorporating those sorts of innovations into their products
1: yeah so a good example i feel like of that you did break out a little bit there again but i think i got the uh, the majority of it um But a big thing I got, I think of, is like the original Audi R8. So Audi's perception, this is according to Doug Demiro. I don't really know as much as he does about cars, Um, but according to him, Audi was just kind of like a meh, like not as good as BMW, not as good as Mercedes, uh, not as good as some of the other luxury brands. But then they released the Audi R8, and enthusiasts saw how cool that car was, but so did, so did the average Joe enthusiasts loved that car enthusiasts bought that car even though 99% of people couldn't afford one or that wasn't the car they ended up going with but that innovation on the high end for the enthusiast then changed their perspective of the Audi A4 the baseline Audi or A3 I think I don't know what their smallest mm. car is but by innovating on the high end and taking that thread, like I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, taking that DNA into the de- design philosophy and tying it down through your product line can elevate the whole, the whole uh, experience for everybody. So I feel like in the uh, specifics of that coffee maker, that's something in the high end. That's innovation. That's for the enthusiast. And yeah, the average person, average Joe, um, <laughs> they can see that. And think it's cool, not really understand it. But next thing you know, because of that innovation, it could start trickling down. It'll get cheaper. It'll get more affordable. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm still struggling to find an exact box to put that coffee maker in. Definitely Hmm. more enthusiast. Um, Yeah, I mean, you probably touched on it, but like I said, I kind of lost some of it. Um,
0: But no, yeah, you're good. Yeah.
1: Did Did my Audi point make sense?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, that actually happened earlier in the in the 1980s with Audi. Um, they were competing in the Rally World Championship, and they were, like, doing okay. And then they came out with the Audi Quattro, which was an all-wheel drive vehicle that was, like, pretty uncommon and just started dominating the rally circuit. And now, like, pretty much every Audi that they make has the Quattro badge on it, which just means all-wheel drive for Audi. But without the Audi Quattro, we wouldn't have half of the all-wheel drive cars that we do now. You know, all-wheel drive would be uh, relegated mm. to, you know, your Jeep Wranglers and your off-road vehicles mostly. But now companies like Subaru are making all-wheel drive sedans that people drive around all the time. And I think it's, it's all due to just like different thinking and innovating kind of up here where most consumers aren't paying attention. Um, so, I mean, that's, a, that's a tough thing to juggle as well, because as designers, we don't just want to work on, you know, the outrageous Halo concept, uh, products. We want to work on things that real people can use. So, I uh, that's a balance there too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's difficult, but I feel like that's what Apple did well. They balanced innovation with the consumer. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not just shooting for the stars on a crazy design. It's basically going the furthest point the consumer will allow to, allow you to go. Um, an example of this that comes to mind is the original Xbox Connect, or even the Xbox Connect for the Xbox One, which is a little bit of a change. They overshot a little bit. Um hmm. They could say Xbox on, Xbox off, Xbox open Netflix, Xbox whatever. You could do that. And this is in 20, I think 12? No, yeah, 12. I think 2012, 2013, 2014 in that range. I there. think yeah. Okay, 2012. And this is like 3 years before Alexa especially hitting the mainstream. Alexa really didn't hit the mainstream until like 2018. Where's where I was just like Everywhere is where it started to show up, mm-hmm. but this was voice control. There, there were products before, but Xbox actually like worked well. But they really were the scapegoat for the industry a little bit. They took on a lot of the, they're spying on you. They're this. They're that. And hey, they could have been. I don't. I don't think they were. Uh, I trust Microsoft more than some of the other companies, but. Um, but they were a product that in every sense of the. Every since you looked at it, it it was a great product. You could voice control your Xbox. You could voice control your TV. I think you could even voice control your TV box set. Like, you could control your satellite box, I think. I don't Mm. know if that's true, but at least you could transfer over to it. Either way, what I'm saying is that product, if it released today with just a little Amazon smile on it, I think would be very successful. So... That's where, I guess, innovation could be bad, where the consumer isn't ready. And that goes back to my point where you kind of have to hit this fine line, but it depends on where you're trying to go. Are you trying to go convenience? Are you trying to go for the common consumer? Or are you trying to go high-end enthusiast? Either way, I feel like each one of those has a spectrum that you can hit on. Uh, You can hit the aspirational for the consumer, then you can hit the aspirational for the enthusiast. But I feel like in design, a lot of the time, there's a trickle down, uh, no matter what. Uh, you can set the bar if you create a good mainstream product. Um, but this is getting into stuff that we really don't know. And we could really use a smart person to talk about, <laughs> to talk <laughs> with about it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um,
1: but this is the type of stuff we need to talk about because we're learning, and the next time we have somebody on, we'll have some good questions to ask um, and different things to learn. Um, so do you think coffee makers? is what you're leaning towards, you think?
0: I don't know. I'll have to do some more thinking about it, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really interested in coffee right now. Yeah. Do you yeah, know what kind of like consumer electronics I... you're looking after?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was thinking about cars for a while. Um, hmm. uh, this not consumer electronics, like that, this is just a story, but I, the, kind of the more I looked at it, um, I decided not to go into it, um, as much because of the amount of regulation, the amount of things, the amount of things you have to get into in the weeds, I didn't feel like I could do something that I would be satisfied with at the end. If I designed a car, I would want to design every single part of it, at least you know the important parts. Yeah. out, and I just I knew I couldn't do that. I um, and also I'm pretty content with the car industry right now. I mean, yes, the electric electric vehicles right now are exciting. But overall, I feel like we're on a pretty good path, and people are doing a good job. Um, and so I kind of. I've stepped off that a little bit. so when I worked at Best Buy, I sold a lot of smart home technology. And as I learned more and more about it, I, you know, had my time using Google, had my time using Alexa, had my time using Siri. Um, And I've enjoyed all those. Siri is my current uh, product of choice. HomeKit is what it's called. Um, But it's still not smart. (laughs) Like, Mm. Even enthusiasts are frustrated about it. Um, There are so many, there's so much white space in that market that I think that I want to attack that problem and see how I can fill that white space, how I can make a smart home actually smart, how I can make it something that the people that might actually need a smart home can use. Like I want Mm. grandparents or people that have limited uh, function to be able to set up a smart home and use it and not have to hire somebody, have somebody come into their house, or call their grandson every other day. I want it to be something that will actually make people's lives easier. Not not work when the Wi-Fi goes out. Not this, that, or the other. I want to make something that genuinely um, makes a house feel smart and makes everybody a little bit more like Tony Stark, because I know that's my goal and a lot of people's goals. Uh, or uh, uh, Bruce Wayne, like that's that's what I want to be. I want to be, I want to be just like in a world where the computer. I, I'm not a slave to the technology. The technology actually serves me. I want the technology to feel mm. like it's intuitive, even though it might not be, even though it could be, you know, silk screens. I still want it. Is that the right word? I don't know. Let's just pretend it was. And <laughs> I think so. Is that right? Was it right? Okay. I don't care. There are
0: silk screens.
1: I know. There, there's something, but a silk screen, I thought it was like a TV screen. It doesn't matter. Um, it's an expression before our time. Anyways, I just want it to be something that just works. Um, it values people's privacy. Now, this could change. Next week, I'd be like, eh, change my mind. Don't want to do that anymore. It's possible. <laughs> but this is an industry. I wanted to choose an industry that I feel like hasn't really been done right yet. Um, hmm. And will genuinely make people's lives better. I could talk about it for hours. Um, and I also feel like it's I can wrap my head around it. I understand a lot of the technology i understand a lot of the words i don't exactly understand how they work and so i do want to dive in a little bit deeper because i think the most beautiful design um, is when the engineering and the design are done symbiotically they're just together just mm. everything feels cohesive down to this every screw underneath the alum- aluminum body as johnny ive would say like you open up a Mac and it looks nice, you know, other than the one underpowered fan that they have in there. Other than that, it's, it's a good-looking device. So that's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I want, I want it to be something I can completely wrap my head around. I don't feel like mm. I can wrap my head around a car. And I feel like there's yeah. a lot of problems that could be solved inside that industry.
0: So. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I was rambling. Okay. Um, and I think, like, it is a good idea to start from a place of enthusiasm almost you know, the the craziest inventions are made by the people who are obsessed with their craft. And so I think it is a good, like, there's always going to be a lot of learning along the way, right? There's a lot of research involved. There's a lot of problem shooting. um, But like, starting from a place of enthusiasm, I think like gives you a good basis. And you can, like you said, wrap your head around the issue and make sure that you're looking at the right things, the right aspects of the product. Yeah. I think that's like a good place to wrap up.
1: Okay. But I just got to say one more thought. I had this thought the other day. Engineers make stuff work. Designers make stuff that people want to work with. That, that that was just one thing that has been on my heart because like engineers are brilliant. They're so smart. They come up with these crazy stuff. You go into Reddit and you see these crazy ways that they've hacked together a way to make something work that just looks ridiculous, but it, it works and it's awesome. But we make it so that they using their physics and their smart stuff something that you and I could use. That's it. That's my last thought. That was burning a hole in my brain pocket. So I don't know what that means. But I wanted to say that. Um, now I don't know if this video is gonna get out. Um, the internet was really bad. Lane, you are a silhouette of a human. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Uh, but I really, I really enjoyed talking to man. Uh, this is gonna be really good for us, I think, going forward to kind of have a new kind of level where we're at and kind of an understanding of what the things we want to look at, maybe um, more uh, capstone-specific things. So that being said, thanks so much uh, for listening to this podcast, and I'm really looking forward to our next episode and the episodes after that. And please, I don't do this like at all, but if you subscribe, you'll get our podcast early. You'll be the first ones to know about it. And if you share it, that's even all the better because then more people can get to hear our very foolish conversations. So thanks for listening, and we will catch you soon. Peace.